You're listening to Expat Property Story, a podcast in which I share my story to smooth the way for you to have your own Expat Property Story. Hello there, it's episode 27. We're rattling through Expat Property Tax topics in collaboration with Sean, the property tax accountant, who is himself an expat property investor. We started this series of daily pocket-sized episodes when Sean answered the question on everyone's lips, should you buy in your own name or through a limited company? Spoiler alert, it depends. We then looked at group structures, so SPVs and holding companies, etc. in episode 25, followed by capital gains tax for expats in episode 26. Today's show is all about compliance, which is not the sexiest of topics, but may arguably be the most important. And just in case you've forgotten, nothing you hear today should be considered advice. Please consult your own tax, legal and accounting advisors before taking action. The purpose of today's episode is to highlight the key taxes and any other obligations that expat property investors should consider when embarking on their first investment. To kick off, let's now imagine that an individual has purchased an investment property in their own name. So the key thing here is that they will become subject to the HMRC's self-assessment regime for for income tax purposes. So the key thing here is that that individual needs to register for self-assessment. Although the registration deadline is the 5th of October following the end of the tax year during which the income was earned, the sooner you register, the better. When you register, you will be issued with a unique tax reference number, a UTR by HMRC. And if you do appoint an accountant or any other advisor to help you with your tax return and be your tax agent, they will require that UTR. Now, HMRC still uses snail mail to issue those UTRs to that individual. So as we're particularly all grappling with at the moment, the postal service is still snarled up at the moment and those UTRs and then the associated codes that you need to provide to your accountant can either take time to come through the postal service or not come through at all. And with respect to the codes that you need to provide to your tax accountant, those codes um, expire after a relatively short period of time as well. So it may well take a few attempts to get that code uh, shipped out to you. So do not delay. In terms of paying tax and filing tax returns, well, the tax year runs from the, the 6th of April to the 5th of April, and a tax return is due approximately 10 months after the end of the tax year. It's due by 31st of January. And then tax is generally paid in three instalments. So there'll be one during the tax year in January, the second payment on account in July, and then a final one the following January when you actually submit your tax return. Now, it's really, really important here to make sure that you remain compliant. Penalties, uh, fines, interest can well apply. And that's often the, the point at which individuals will actually hire an accountant to help them far, far better to avoid those fines and and probably have lower accounting fees to deal with things appropriately at first. And those penalties and interests can apply to both late payments, late returns, and, and even just simply errors in tax returns, be it accidental or otherwise. A general rule of thumb is that a good accountant or tax advisor will save you more in tax than that you'll ever pay them in fees over the long term. Something coming down the route at the moment is very interesting, which is making tax digital. That's now fully in place for VAT, and it's also being rolled out for both individuals and uh, companies. So for individuals, an 
and in particular landlords with rental income over £10,000 per year, and that's gross rental income, they will need to comply with making tax digital MTD. So that's from April 2024. So what will that mean? Well, it means two things. Number one, quarterly tax returns. And then secondly, there's the requirement to maintain digital records. So that generally means using a proper MTD compliant accounting software such as QuickBooks. So that is a significant sea change for, I would say, smaller investors with one or two properties. If you are operating a limited company to own your property, that company needs to prepare and file annual accounts with Companies House. Those accounts also need to be filed with HMRC along with a corporation tax return. So generally, the deadlines for both all of those filings and actually making the tax payments, they range from nine months to one year after the company's financial year end. Companies are also required to file what's known as an annual confirmation statement, used to be known as the annual return. And that just confirms certain aspects about the company. So information such as uh, shareholders, directors, and, and the nature of the business, the SIP codes, and the like. I have an interesting one for you, and it's it's often not very well known about, which is the non-resident landlord scheme. So this particularly applies to expats. This is the requirement that those uh, living abroad that own UK property, for each property, they need to file form NRL1 with HMRC. Not doing so can have some interesting consequences. And in particular, it means that your rent should be paid to you net of the basic rate of tax. So therefore, it should be if you don't file that form. So it would be deducted by 20% and therefore you would only receive 80%. And whoever is collecting that rent on, on your behalf, if you're using a letting agent, they would deduct that 20% tax, effectively treat it as a withholding tax. And then they would then pass that on to HMRC. Now, <laughs> the question then gets asked is, okay, that makes sense for a large letting agent doing that. But what happens if you were self-managing your property, therefore not using a letting agent? It would actually be the tenant's responsibility to deduct that withholding tax, that 20%, pay that across to HMRC, make the necessary filings, and then pay you 80% of tax. I don't know about you, but I've never heard of that happening. I'd be amazed if any tenant knows that that is their obligation. <laughs> right. If there's an infringement going on there, it's by the tenant, not by the landlord, in theory. In theory, yes. Is the NRL, NRL1 form, is it just once per property? Once per property. And that form can be completed on the HMRC website. You just simply enter the, the details about the property, its address, when it is rented from and then who the letting agent is and you would then confirm to your letting agent that you have filed the NRL1 and provide them evidence of, of doing so. Again that would be your letting agent's responsibility to do not yours. Well once you've actually filed an NRL1 you just need to confirm to the letting agent that you have done that and therefore they can then pay the rent to you on a gross basis. And this is even in a limited company structure it's not just for personal. Correct. There's a bit of a debate among my community about self-assessment, about what you need to do in terms of whether you have to do it before the January deadline or the October deadline. 
if you want to file a tax return and you want HMRC to do the tax calculation for you, then that's when the October deadline applies. If you want to file online and calculate the tax yourself, then you have until the January deadline. But it also says you cannot use HMRC's online services to tell them about your income if you're non-resident. Instead, you must do one of the following. Fill in a self-assessment tax return and an SA109 form and send by post or use commercial self-assessment software that supports SA109 reporting. Let's imagine the non-resident only has property-related income from the UK. They would complete the very basic tax return, so just their personal details, those lead pages. They would complete the property pages, the property section of the tax return to declare their property income. But as a non-resident, they should also be completing the non-residency pages. So that's the SA 109 of their tax return as well. That demonstrates, amongst other things, how many days spent in the UK, for example, which again continues to demonstrate that they are non-resident for UK tax purposes. Expats involved in development projects should also be aware of a lesser-known tax called the Construction Industry Scheme, or CIS. CIS is really important for those property investors that are actually considered property developers, people that are doing flips, conversions, and even large BRRs. CIS applies regardless of whether those properties are owned through a company or personally owned. The key thing here is the classification of whether somebody is a property developer or a property investor. A developer is generally somebody that owns properties for a relatively short period of time, whereas a property investor is somebody that is really using that buy and hold strategy. If you are just buying a property, doing it up, and then you intend to keep it for the next 10 years or so, renting it out, then then you generally would be a property investor. And as long as you're not spending more than £1 million per year on a rolling year basis, then CIS, you don't need to worry about it. However, if you are a developer and you are doing flips, for example, then regardless of size of your business, you would fall under CIS. This is really interesting, actually, because the vast majority of people that I speak to that are doing flips are not operating CIS. And similarly, HMRC do not appear to be policing it at those levels either, in my experience. And I've actually spoken with HMRC and they have categorically told me that CIS does not apply to people doing flips. That is despite all of HMRC's documentation online clearly saying that CIS does apply. So I think it would seem that those manning the help desks at HMRC also do not understand uh, CIS. ATED, the annual tax on enveloped dwellings. For me, this is the one that makes uh, property investors sweat. I find that it's it's one that they hear about, they panic, they then realise it doesn't apply and then swiftly forget about it. And then six months, a year, two years time, they hear about it again and then start that cycle all over again. So it, it is an interesting one. It's important to note that the ATED only applies to companies that own residential properties. So if you personally own your properties, you can forget all about it. If a company owns residential property and that property is valued at more than half a million pounds, then they are liable to an annual tax. And for a £500,000 property, that would be currently £3,800. 
per year. And then the amount of tax then increases quite rapidly, actually, as the value of each property increases. And this is where the panic sets in because house prices are obviously increasing rapidly. If you own properties in, in the southeast, the chances are you may well own a property that's valued at more than £500,000. So the fear is, is that you'll be liable for this tax. Now, there is a relief that's available and that if that property is rented out to a third party, so somebody that's not connected to the company in any way, then they don't have to pay that tax. But importantly, they have to claim a relief it's not automatic and therefore they have to file an ATED return stating that they are renting out that property to a third party. So what really this tax is designed to do is tax those companies where perhaps a director of that company is actually living in that property. Three key takeaways from today's episode. Number one, don't forget to fill out non-resident landlord form NRL1 for each property you rent out in the UK. Number two, for those of you filing self-assessment tax returns, as an expat landlord, you need to remember to fill in form SA109 at the same time. And number three, it's far better to make sure that you remain compliant from the outset. You'll save more money by hiring a good accountant than by trying to save money by doing it yourself and accidentally falling foul of HMRC, in which case penalties, fines and interest may apply. A quick reminder of Sean's contact details. His web address is propertytaxaccountant.uk and he's also on Instagram, where his handle is at property underscore tax underscore accountant underscore UK. That's all for today. Tomorrow we're tackling tax evasion, tax avoidance and tax planning. So if you haven't already done so, subscribe to the show to ensure that you receive each new episode as soon as it's released. And a review wouldn't do any harm either. You've been listening to Expat Property Story.